Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 80 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and this will be the final episode of season two of the podcast. We've basically done about 40 or so episodes per season, this being number 80. We are going to move forward, take the month of August off. As many of you likely know, the NHL kind of goes into hibernation for the month of August. I'm going to try to do the same, although I'm working on several things at the top of my list being our annual prospect rankings. I've really rolled up my sleeves on those in the last week or so, lining up a lot of interviews for the next month. The plan is going to be to start to release those late in August. It'll be a two-week release. We'll release from 10 to 1, a new player each day over the course of two weeks. I'll also have full analysis of the whole rankings, and we'll do a big analysis of the prospect pool. And it's probably the project that I put the most work into each year, but there's only really one time to do it, and I love it. I'm fascinated by it. I love gathering opinions on where the Rangers stand in their prospect pool, who's moving up, who's moving down, who could make an impact soon, who could make an impact down the line, all that kind of stuff. And I'm really going to try to talk to people who know these prospects best and size them all up for you and, and give you guys a good, thorough update on where they all stand. So that will be the main thing that I'm working on in the next month. Obviously, I'm going to try to take some time off. Got a couple of vacations planned. Going to spend some time with the family Any breaking news or anything happens, of course, I'll be on top of it. I'll definitely be keeping an eye on the World Juniors. I do have another couple stories in my back pocket that I'll release over the course of the month, maybe checking in with some players and and things of that nature. So I am not going completely off the grid, but I am going to quiet down and I am going to take a month off from doing the podcast. We will be back in September to start season three of the podcast right around the time the training camp starts, probably right before training camp starts, which I believe the start date is either September 21st or 22nd. So, of course, we got plenty of time to keep you guys posted on all that. I do have a guest for this week who is going to help us get to know the Rangers' biggest offseason edition. Of course, that would be Vincent Trocheck. At this point, for as far as the Rangers are concerned, at least the dust has mostly settled. And so to talk about Trocheck, give us some real good insight into what the Rangers are getting with this player. We're going to have Walt Ruff, who's a team reporter for the Carolina Hurricanes, and has gotten to know Trocheck and watched him up close for the last three seasons prior to him coming to the Rangers this offseason. So we're definitely going to dive into some Trocheck analysis on this show. But I mostly wanted to keep the focus this week on you, uh, on everybody who makes this podcast tick, on all of you who listen loyally every week or listen occasionally, whatever it is that you do. I appreciate you all so much. I am so happy with the way that this podcast has taken off and the way that we have developed a fairly loyal following. Two of our last three episodes actually were the most listened to episodes that we've ever had. So we're reaching new territory. We're growing the audience. I really, really appreciate it. I love doing this. I really enjoy it. It's so much fun for me to get to talk to you guys in this way. I love the writing side of it. And obviously that is usually my priority. And that is the majority of what I do for this job. 
on top of the social media and, and you know, the SNY stuff. And, and, you know, there's a lot of different things that go into this job. But I would put writing at the top of the list. But the podcast for me is a fun way to talk to you guys directly, to have a little fun, show a little personality, dive into all kinds of topics, whether it's hypothetical, whether it's outrageous, whatever it might be, and offer you guys insight from behind the scenes, give you guys a good idea of what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, and shine some light on to what goes into this beat, which as you guys know, it is what I pour myself into and I love it. I very, very, very much love it. And this podcast has been a great addition, in my opinion, at least to that beat. So for this week's episode, it's going to be, I guess we can call it a a full mailbag episode. I'm going to run through as many of your questions as I can in the final segment of the show. I'm very curious to see what you guys come up with. This episode, as, I, as I'm as i saying, is, is devoted to you guys, and it's because I want to give you guys a chance to have your voices heard and your questions answered, but there's really not much new to report, so you guys are going to have to rack your brains a little bit and, and come up with some interesting topics for us to discuss. I haven't really looked through it yet, but I will soon. Things have been quiet for the Rangers since the last time we spoke last week. Nothing new to report except for a minor deal for Tim Gettinger, a one-year deal for a restricted free agent who will almost surely be heading to Hartford to play for the Rangers AHL affiliate. No NHL signings at this point. The NHL has mostly gone quiet. There have been a few things that are either lingering or, of course, the big, big news since the last time we spoke was the trade of Matthew Kachuk to the Florida Panthers. And what a doozy of a deal that ended up being. I do want to touch on that briefly, even though it's not directly Rangers related. We did discuss it on the podcast last week because I received questions about whether the Rangers were interested, whether there was any way they could make it work. The answer to the first question of whether they were interested, absolutely. I can tell you that if Kachuk was available last offseason, when we know the Rangers were fishing around on a lot of potential big moves, including Jack Eichel, where we know they made a push and they felt like they had a chance at Jack Eichel and the, the finish line kept getting moved on them and eventually they just came to the conclusion that it wasn't going to happen and they weren't willing to completely upend their whole organization to make it happen. But the Rangers were in on Eichel then and, and had Kachuk been available, I really believe that they would have been very much in on him. Obviously, he's a winger, doesn't fill their need at center. So some people might look at that as a little bit of a knock on, on whether they would have wanted to acquire him. But as far as this hard-to-play-against mantra that we've heard Chris Drury repeat really from the first day that he got this job over a year ago, Kachuk is a guy that they feel and pretty much everybody around the league feels is the epitome of that. He is at the very top of the list when you're talking about players who bring skill, can score, and and produce offense at a high level, which we've seen. He's had over 100 points last season, but also plays with that edge, plays with the physicality that the teams feel like will give them an edge in the playoffs and make them a team that opponents fear in a lot of ways. Kachuk embodies kind of bringing both of those elements to the table. And so the Rangers, I think, had they been in a position where they could have acquired him or he was available last offseason— I think would have been serious contenders for him. But the timing just was not on their side right now. The timing was not on their side because of the salary cap situation. 
once they didn't get Eichel and they moved on from whatever other big fish they might have been searching around for last summer, they made the decision to double down on the core that they have. That meant giving Adam Fox a big extension. That meant giving Mika Zibanejad a big extension. And now what we've seen, what they've done this offseason, is add Vincent Trocek as kind of the final, I wouldn't call him big money player at $5.625 million, but sizable contract player for them. And they really know that for the next few years, they're not going to have much wiggle room. So they're locked in because all of their big money guys, as I mentioned last week, are either no movement clause guys, which means they cannot go anywhere without approving the trade. And as far as I know, the big names on this roster, Panarin, Zabanajad, Kreider, Truba, are not approving of any trade. Or some of the other guys on the roster have partial no movement clauses, but the big guys, the big salary guys are no movement clause guys. And that prohibited the Rangers from really getting to be involved on the Kachuk deal because they could just not have made it work financially, only trading players that don't have no movement clauses. They just, there's no feasible way, mathematical way for them to make that happen. Then you look at what Calgary did though. I think you have to give Calgary some serious credit for what they were able to do. The whole league knew that their backs were up against the wall and the Kachuk wanted to be traded. They were able to get two all-star caliber players from the Panthers in Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weger. Huberdeau being an 100-point-plus player, a guy that was on a lot of MVP ballots for the Hart Trophy this past season. To, to me, Alexander Barkov remains the best player on the Panthers roster, but I think there's a strong argument that Huberdeau is very close to him and, and certainly the second-best player on that roster, on a roster that produced one of the best regular season teams in the league last year. So getting Huberdeau is huge. I mean, even if they would have traded Kachuk for Huberdeau straight up, I would obviously prefer Kachuk for some of the reasons that we talked about and how unique his overall skill set is. But one for one, I think people would have came away from that thinking like, okay, you know, Calgary came out of this still kind of giving themselves a chance to win. But to get Uyghur on top of that, and Uyghur is a guy who I believe I had fifth on my Norris Trophy ballot two seasons ago, the year that Adam Fox won. So this is when he's healthy and on top of his game, one of the better defensemen in the NHL. They also get a first-round pick. They get a prospect. Calgary really did well for themselves, all things considered. I know Huberdeau and Uyghur are both pending unrestricted free agents, so there's a decent chance that Calgary might not retain both. They might not retain either. We don't know. But it puts them in a position where they still have a very good chance of being a playoff team next season. It restocks their roster for the upcoming season. And it also puts them in a position where if the season doesn't go according to plan and they decide that they want to sell off pieces, well, then they could trade those guys and get assets in return. So I think Calgary, all things considered, did pretty well for themselves. Now, Florida gets the best player in the deal, in my opinion, and they get him for eight years. So obviously that's a huge part of this. But Really a fascinating, fun trade to analyze because that was that was big time. That was probably, in terms of what was going both ways, the biggest, most exciting trade that I can remember in my three-plus seasons now covering the NHL. So that was kind of a fun way to get a, a little news going. I think it was 
Thursday or Friday night. I don't know. You guys know how the summer is. It's all the, the, For me, the regular season, the winter is a blur because I don't know where I'm going every day and I'm chasing the Rangers around constantly. And the summer is a blur because it's just the summer. You're chilling. You're hanging out. <laughs> you know, you're not really worried too much about what day it is, especially for me now that I got some time to relax. But yeah, so that was exciting. That was cool news. That definitely kept us on our toes last week. And, and it's unfortunate for the Rangers because I think there was a time not too long ago when they would have very much wanted to be involved and they just simply couldn't do it this time around. But otherwise, the NHL has gone quiet. You do have, surprisingly, some unrestricted free agents who are lingering on the UFA market. Kadri being the number one guy, the number one center, a guy that we know the Rangers had interest in. I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't with him at this point. I don't know why it's lasting so long. I don't know if there are teams. I've heard this actually from a couple agents that there are a few teams, whether it's for Kadri or for other reasons, who are trying to free up salary cap space right now. And I was told not to be surprised if you see certain teams make trades to move salary. But you also have to think that the longer this lingers, the better the chances of the Colorado Avalanche being able to bring him back. Now, I don't have their salary cap sheet in front of me, so I don't know exactly how much space they have. I can't imagine they have a whole lot with all of the talent that they have on that roster. But the longer that he sits out there, and maybe if he doesn't like what he's looking at in terms of the deals that are on the table, you would think that would increase his chances of maybe staying put and chasing another cup in Colorado. There are some other notable unrestricted free agents who are hanging on the market as well, Tyler Mott being one of them. I'm sure we're going to get some questions about him on this week's episode. And I know that all of you are growing impatient on the Kako Kako deal and wondering why it has not been announced yet. I get it. I did feel that it was probably going to happen by now, but I can also tell you that I'm not sensing any concern. If there was going to be an offer sheet I think most people believe it would have happened already. It, I do not sense right now that anybody on the Rangers is too concerned about Kako getting an offer sheet as a restricted free agent right now. I think he has little choice at this point but to sign with the Rangers. And I do believe that he wants to stay with the Rangers. But as I mentioned on last week's episode, even though it's not a whole lot of money in the grand scheme of things, when you, when you think about what these players make, I believe that... They have basically been going back and forth on what I believe and what I've been told is likely to be a two-year bridge deal, but whether it's going to be, as the Rangers would like, about $2 million a season, or as Kako's side would like, two and a half or more. So I think there's going to be some middle ground in there. I think the Rangers are highly motivated to keep it as close to $2 million as possible for the salary cap restrictions and the reasons that that we've discussed. And actually, I believe we're going to discuss because I did reach out to a source to ask some more specific questions about the salary cap stuff moving forward. And I I think I just have a sense that we'll find a way to get to that in the final segment of the show. I don't want to go too deep into that now because I, I know that this is probably going to be a hot topic that you guys want to discuss. But the Kako deal, listen... Maybe the Rangers have a trick up their sleeves. Maybe they're looking to clear up salary cap space somehow to make another run at Tyler Mott. I don't frankly believe that that is going to be the case, although it's peculiar that Mott in particular is still hanging around in the market. I don't believe that they're going to have trouble coming to a deal with Kako well before training camp, which is still a couple months away. So 
No panic, as far as I can tell right now, even though I'm sure a lot of you would like that final loose end to be tied up so that you're not worrying about it and you can go on with enjoying your summer. We'll talk about Kako and Mott and free agency and Rangers and all that kind of stuff in the final segment. But first, I want to shift our focus to Vincent Trocheck because that, of all the moves that have been made this summer, that is the move that at this moment we're expecting to have the biggest impact on the Rangers for not only the upcoming season, but for the foreseeable future beyond that. So let's learn more about Trocheck and what he'll be bringing to New York with this conversation with Walt Ruff. Now that the offseason activity has mostly died down around the NHL, a few guys hovering out there, but for the most part, it's been pretty quiet. We've gotten a pretty good idea of what most teams are going to do in terms of transitioning their roster and signing players and that sort of thing. And it looks like, without a doubt, the biggest signing for the Rangers is going to be Vincent Trocek. So with that in mind, I want to have someone on the show this week who could give us a better idea of what Trocek has to offer, what he could bring to New York, someone who's watched him closely for the last few years. And that is Walt Ruff. He is the editorial content producer and team reporter for the Carolina Hurricanes, which is where Trocek played the last few seasons. So, Walt, thank you for taking a little time to chat with us during your summer. How are you doing? I'm good, Vince. Thanks a lot for having me on. Happy to help out. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And uh, I know this is a time when a lot of people around the league like to vacation and take some time off. So I definitely appreciate you making a little time to chat with us. And let's get right into Trocek. I want to ask you a few questions about the team as well, but but let's start by focusing on Trocek here and what he could bring to the Rangers. Now, I know that he mostly centered the second line for the Hurricanes since he was acquired a few years ago in a trade from the Panthers. We know that he seemed to fit that system really well. The Rangers view him as an upgrade over the guys that they had on the roster last year. Ryan Strom had been their second line center for years, and they also had Andrew Kopp, who they acquired at the trade deadline, who was another option for them. They chose to let those guys go, and they went after Trocek, signed him to a seven-year deal, and they probably could have had the other guys for fewer years. So that shows how much they value him. Why do you think he he's a guy that that they look at as an upgrade at that position? Well, I think you brought up some of his best aspects right off the bat. He's a tremendous second line center. He plays hard every single night. Um, he's a tough nosed guy in the sense of he doesn't take anybody's nonsense. He's not the biggest guy on the ice, but to go along with his skill, he's got some snarl to his game as well. Um, he's consistent. He played in 81 out of 82 games this past regular season. The only one he didn't play was during the last week due to rest. Um, he's just a gamer and he contributes. He's a 20 goal scorer again, over 50 points this season. And I think it's entirely possible that although he did turn 29 this off season, some of his best hockey in his career could be coming within the next couple of years. So I think those are things that New York saw when going out and giving him the seven year commitment. Now we know that under coach Rod Brindamore, the Canes have had a lot of success with their four check in the last couple of years. That, that's a staple for them. They're, they're known for that playing with speed, playing with pace. How well did Trocek fit into that system? Like how do you view him in terms of his skating and his ability to be a pest on the four check? He was a tremendous fit here. I mean, there's a reason Rod Brindamore loved him as much as he did. And going into the off season, when it was known that Trocek was going to be a free agent, it was asked several times to 
Rod Brindamore, how important it was to bring him back. And he was adamant saying it was something that he wanted. Um, so, of course, we know now that that unfortunately wasn't the case, but he was a really good fit because of, again, you mentioned his forechecking abilities. He can play a lot of minutes. He was second among all forwards in ice time, only behind Sebastian Ajo, who, of course, centers the first line. Um, he contributes on special teams. So he was, for lack of a better way to put it, a perfect fit here in Carolina. Um, but of course, it's a business and sometimes you get better offers in better places. So um, that's what he elected to do. And Don Waddell said at his press conference, you know, you can't blame the guy. That's it's totally he's earned the right and at his point in his career to be an unrestricted free agent and get that big contract. So, um, you know, good, good for Vincent. So it kind of begs the question, you know, you, you you mentioned the business side of it and then parting ways. Do, do you think it was a matter of just not finding agreeable terms on a new contract where there are other players that they maybe wanted to move up and give more ice time to? Like, what were some of the reasons that you can decipher as far as why Carolina didn't find a way to hold on to him? I do think it was a variety of factors. Um, Don Waddell was actually asked on the first day of free agency at his press conference, um, you know, where the difference was between the team and Trocek. And he did point out term as one aspect. Um, We know not many players get seven-year deals, right? So Trocek was offered one. And again, he turned 29 this offseason. So that may bring about the question, what will the contract look like when Trocek is 35, 36? I know I just mentioned a little bit ago that some of his best hockey could be ahead of him, but it's hard to be a top tier player in the National Hockey League when you're 35, 36 years old, right? There's only a select amount of players that are able to achieve that. Um, So that's something that's just going to have to play out over time. But then the other factors that we were alluding to was the team did lock up Jesperi Kokaniemi to an eight-year extension this past season. He was in the role of fourth-line center this past year because, of course, you had Aho, Trocek, Jordan Stahl, who's under team contract for one more year, and then you had Kokaniemi. But giving Kokaniemi an eight-year extension, the team has been blatant in saying, you know, they do see, they want to see more out of him. They feel comfortable that he can take on a bigger role. So it's now looking likely that he'll jump up into the line of second line center this reason. And there's a prospect in Jack Drury who's likely going to come up and compete for that fourth line spot now, who really, for lack of a better way to put it, didn't have anything left to prove at the American Hockey League level. He was a point per game player. They won the championship this season. He was, you know, playing second line center minutes, special teams as well. So it's time for him to make that jump. So when you put all of those factors together, I think that's probably why things shook out the way that they did. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Kokunemi. He, he is a guy that they're paying just under $5 million a year. That's a lot to pay for a fourth-line center. He's only 22 years old. So it sounds like they feel he's ready to grow into that second-line role, and they're comfortable with their depth. Otherwise, we know Aho is a legitimate first-line center, and we know that Jordan Stahl has been really effective in that third-line role, that kind of shut-down line that we saw Carolina really use as a matchup line in that playoff series against the Rangers. So it certainly sounds like, they were comfortable letting Trocek go, especially when you consider the term and they felt like that money was best used elsewhere. Yep. I think that's the perfect way to put it. And again, you look at some of the other pieces that they have coming up through the pipeline. It's, I don't want to say it's time for some of the players that we mentioned to make the jump, you know, going from fourth line center to second line center is a huge jump, especially for a 21, 22 year old Yesperi Kokaniemi. But again, when you give him that eight year deal, 
he has to start working his way up through the lineup. And Jordan Stahl is cemented in that third line role. So there's no other real choice for him to move up or else you could maybe, you could make the argument that the best fit for Kokaniemi next season might've been a third line center role, but you just can't take your captain out of a role where he's been effective in his minutes there. So Kokaniemi shifts up. There's several pieces, not only just Rory who will compete for that fourth line center role, but um, yeah, that, that definitely packaged into the comfortability as to why he was able to, you know, walk in free agency. Now back to Trocheck, you, you talked a little bit about the speed and the four check and that he plays with that edge offensively. What kind of player are the Rangers getting? I know he's had, I believe 20 more, 20 or more goals in four different seasons in his career. Some of his highest scoring seasons actually came in Florida under coach Gerard Gallant. So I know the Rangers had a connection there that, that, that they liked, but it seems like their plan is going to be to play him with Artemi Panarin, who is the Rangers most dynamic offensive player offensively. I mean, is he a guy who is going to look to shoot more? Is he a guy who you can see as a playmaker playing with a guy like Panarin? Panarin is a guy who usually likes to pass first. So I think Trocek they're hoping can play somewhat of a shooting role for them and, and probably even grow the total of goals that he had last season. But what kind of offensive player would you describe him as? I think it's going to be a great fit in New York, honestly, because when you look at Panarin and the way that he plays and Trocek spent a good deal of time this past season playing with Andrei Svechnikov. And I know Svechnikov is a little bit more of a scoring winger, perhaps, but Trocek's got that really good yin and yang to his game where if he's playing with someone who's primarily a shooter, he can be the playmaker. But if he's called on to be the scorer, he scored 20 goals in several seasons for that reason. So again, he has that that balance to his game, if you will. He's a two-way player up and down the ice. And then on the offensive side of things, he'll make the plays when necessary because he's got tremendous vision on the ice. There's a reason why he continuously puts up over 30, 40 assists per season as well. Um, But it's not entirely common that you see those guys who are playmakers also contributing 20 goals. So I think he brings a tremendous balance. And again, I think he will fit very well in New York, especially alongside Panarin. And his reputation is definitely more of a guy who isn't afraid to get to the net, who isn't afraid to kind of do the dirty work and score goals that might not necessarily make highlight reels, but but get into those greasy areas and, and contribute goals that way. Would you say a good amount of his goals came in that fashion? Totally. N- not a lot of fear, if any, at all in his game. He will go to the front of the net. In fact, we saw him there plenty of times, um, both during special team situations and just during five-on-five play, we know Carolina likes to try and get pucks through from the point looking for those tips and redirections. I think he excels very strongly in those areas. Um, and then, yeah, he, he's not afraid to battle with anybody. Again, he's not the biggest guy on the ice, but I think the best word, and I know I used it earlier to describe him, he has that snarl to his game. He doesn't care who's who he's going into the corner with, who he's going to the front of the net with. He knows that he has a job to do, and that's what he's going to do. Um, So I think Rangers fans can certainly look forward to that aspect of his game. On special teams, I know he was used in some fashion on both power play and penalty kill. Can you you give us any detail on that as far as maybe positioning for him on the power play? Did he play on the top power play unit a lot, or was it more the second? And then how often was he – I mean, was he one of the go-to penalty killers for Carolina? Yeah, he was a top power play unit guy, and it was a a shift because he was also on that unit with Sebastian Ajo for a good amount of time. So you had two centers on that unit, um, and then it was in some facet a 
a collection of Tevo Teravainen, Andrei Svechnikov, and Tony D'Angelo. I think those are the first five that come to mind. If I had to give you who spent the most time together on the top power play unit for the Kings this season, I would say that would be them. Um, again, you had Aho, Svechnikov, and Teravainen. So Trocek was primarily kind of that guy who was either net front or at sometimes in the bumper role. Um, I think given the Rangers personnel, it seems fair to say that he would likely be in one of those spots again. Um, and then on special teams, I think he was likely most effective with Jordan Stahl, again, another center on the shorthanded side of things because it was Aho and Tara Vinen as kind of that quote unquote power kill first unit, if you will, uh, which is why the Canes generated a good deal of shorthanded chances. And then the second tandem was Stahl and Trocek. And I think they did a great job as well. Um, Trocek finished third in shorthanded time on ice among all forwards. So definitely very capable um, in that portion of the game as well. Yeah, I do believe for the Rangers, you'll see him as one of their top four penalty killing forwards. And I do believe that he has a very good chance of playing that bumper role. We know Chris Kreider racked up goals at the net front position. So I, I don't see Trocek playing there if he's on the first unit. But I do, I could very much envision Gerard Glant giving him a crack on the first unit to start training camp and putting him in that bumper spot, which is where they lost Ryan Strom. So you could see the fit in a lot of different ways with him. I want to pivot a little bit here and just talk about the Hurricanes and their offseason, because I think a lot of people, when you look at the Metro division going into next season, you're going to look at the Rangers and the Hurricanes as the front runners. Obviously, you've got veteran teams like Pittsburgh and Washington. I know a lot of people expect the Islanders to have a bounce back, even though they haven't really done all that much this offseason. So we're still waiting to see if maybe uh, Lou Lamorello has a has a move up his sleeve there. But Right now, on paper, I think you have to look at the Rangers and the Hurricanes as the front runners. And the Hurricanes had had the Rangers number for a couple of years. I know a lot of us felt like that was going to be a really tough matchup for the Rangers in the playoffs. The Rangers find a way to win, so maybe you could argue they've surpassed them, but it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be really neck and neck. And then you look at the Hurricanes' offseason. They lost some key pieces like Trocek, like D'Angelo. But they bring in Max Pacioretty, who I, I know a lot of people feel, even though I think he's 33 now, will add some scoring punch that they needed to that lineup. And then you look on defense and they replace D'Angelo with Brett Burns, another veteran guy. So what is the feeling around Carolina about the direction that they've taken this offseason? Well, it's funny, about two weeks ago today, we all kind of got the sense that okay, these players were headed toward free agency. And there, there was a big three, if you will. It was D'Angelo, Niederreiter, and Trocek. And those were three key pieces to the Hurricanes' success this past season. Of course, we knew then that D'Angelo was moved to Philadelphia. Then all of a sudden, Trocek gets a big deal in New York. Crickets on Niederreiter off the bat. And for a couple hours, it was, you know, you kind of start to look around the room and think, what's what's the plan here, you know? And then they go out and they make the major, somewhat unexpected splash in getting Brent Burns um, going in on the first day of free agency. Not a lot of teams are trying to make these big plays via trade, but it turns out that the Hurricanes did that not only once but twice. And then all of a sudden, by the end of the first day, the team re-solidifies that they're in not only in the win-now window, but they have guys who are, to put it lightly, in the, the back nine of their careers, again, Pacioretty 33, Burns 37, um, the plan is to win now. Yes, we talked about all of these young pieces in Svechnikov, Aho, Tara Vine, all in their you know front half of their 20s, but 
the plan is to win right now. Um, and that's what they doubled down on. They were not pleased with where their season ended, obviously at the hands of the New York Rangers last season. So they're going to try and retool the couple pieces and give them another crack again this year. And I think you bring up a great point likely will be Carolina and New York one and two in the Metro throughout the course of the season, just like we saw basically the entire duration of last year. So um, I think it's going to be a great matchup when these two teams meet throughout the course of the year and uh, definitely looking forward to those games. Did the Hurricanes come out of their playoff loss to the Rangers? Were there any big takeaways or feelings within the organization about we need to improve in this area or we were exposed in this area or did they just feel like, you know, for whatever variety of reasons, it didn't work out in their favor that time, but they still would feel pretty good about their odds against the Rangers in in a future series. No, they were pretty critical of themselves, to be honest. And there were two areas that were hammered home, not only by Don Waddell, but Rod Brindamore and then the players as well. First and foremost was the special teams you throughout, certainly throughout all of the playoffs. But if you look at the power play, the Carolina Hurricanes went into the all-star break of last season ninth in power play. In the second half of the regular season and then into the playoffs, I believe they finished 21st in the regular season. And then in the playoffs, I think they finished about 14th. So the power play was a huge issue. Um, and the penalty kill, which ranked first for first in the whole NHL for the majority of the season just wasn't operating at the same level in the postseason. So again, players and coaches were critical of themselves in that category. And then the second thing is that they felt they could have gotten a little bit more out of their big time players. Um, And, you know, it's hard because again, some of these guys are so young. Sebastian Ajo, you could certainly say, if not Jacob Slavin is the best overall player on the Carolina Hurricanes but he's only 24 years old. So much like we said about Trocek turning 29 and the possibility of his best hockey being ahead of him, you could almost certainly say the same for Sebastian Ajo. In fact, the organization and the contracts they've awarded with Jesperi Kokaniemi, Sebastian Ajo, Andrei Svechnikov, they're obviously planning on getting more and more out of those players. But um, And not them specifically, because again, Ajo and Teravainen finished tied for first in postseason scoring, but they felt like they could get more out of more players and they didn't get that during the postseason. So now they gave credit where credit was due. The New York Rangers are obviously a very strong team with a lot of strong pieces and again, expected to contend this season. And as for the Hurricanes, they retooled in a couple areas and are hoping to now rectify where they went wrong in the second half and the postseason. It's interesting you bring up some of the star guys. And I think the Rangers came away from their playoff run as far as they went, even feeling like, if they got a little bit more from some of their top, top players that, that maybe they could have pushed further as well. So play, playoff time, I think, you know, you could see that the microscope increases and that a lot of these guys, even if they're productive, you know, they need to really go the extra mile for their teams to, to get them through that grueling tournament. And, and especially, you know, you look at these teams and they're very good teams, two of the better teams in the NHL, but then you look at a team like Colorado and how good that they were at the end of the season. And you feel like, okay, we really need to click on all cylinders to, to make this happen. So it's going to be interesting. I, I do think that they will be two, if not the very top teams in the, in the Metro than, than right there, both are going to have playoff expectations, no doubt going into next season. And it should be fun. We have a long way to go until then though, Walt, I really, really appreciate the time. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Walt Ruff. You can also find his work on hurricanes.com. I know it appears on NHL.com as well. Anything I missed there, Walt? 
No, I think we covered a good amount of ground. Thank you again for the opportunity. Uh, I think Rangers fans will be very pleased with Vincent Trocek. And I think we're, you and I both are looking forward to the head-to-head meetings throughout the course of the upcoming campaign. Cool. Thanks a lot, man. Enjoy your summer. Thank you. You too. All right. Big thanks to Walt for taking the time to come on the show I thought it was interesting for sure to hear about why the decision was made to let Trocek go. Now, of course, he could have wanted in his own right to go and might not have been willing to resign with Carolina. He might have preferred the Rangers from the get-go. But I did think the question needed to be asked, okay, if they liked him so much, which we've heard from Ron Brindamore and others that they did, you know, why let him go? Why was that an acceptable outcome for them? And I think that Walt did a pretty good job of laying out all the reasons. Kokaniemi, he is a guy that we know they ponied up a pretty significant salary for a young guy who was very much unproven at the time. We also know it was very much a retaliatory move for them after the Montreal Canadiens had signed Sebastian Ajo to an offer sheet a few years ago. So did they get in a little bit over their heads by going after a guy and giving him a contract of close to $5 million a year when he really hadn't had much of a track record in the NHL up to that point, perhaps. But you also believe that because they're paying him that much and because they have committed what they've committed to him over the course of eight years, that at some point you got to move him up in the lineup. He's not going to be your fourth line center forever. So the writing, I think, was kind of on the wall for him to eventually move into that second line spot, which ultimately led to Trocek being shown the door. Carolina also does have some pretty good young forwards, Seth Jarvis, Jack Drury. Drury is a center. So I I also believe that Carolina felt like they have young forwards coming up who can help replace some of these guys. But then they also bring in Pacioretty and they make some other moves. So they're going to be an interesting team for me because Trocek and Niederreiter in particular were guys that fit so well into that fast-paced, forechecking system of Rod Brindamore. Now you lose those guys who are good defensive players, penalty killers, do a lot of really good things that fit that system so well, and you might lose a little speed now. You might lose a little bit of defense now, but in Pacioretty, they're hoping that they're going to get an offensive boost, and with the emergence of some of these young players, I think they're hoping for the same They also could use a bounce back year from Svechnikov, who a couple years ago I thought was on pace to be maybe their best player. Definitely looked like one of the best young forwards in the league. And then he had a dip last year. I I thought he had a really rough playoff series against the Rangers. So Svechnikov, I think, is a big guy for them moving forward. But they allowed Trocek to walk. You can see the reasons why. But I do believe that there is a lot of genuine appreciation for what he did in his time in Carolina. And now... In very short order here, we're going to find out what he brings to the Rangers. Because as I've said to you guys before, it's become painfully clear that the Rangers looked at him much higher on their list of wants above Strom and Kopp. They were willing to let the guys that they knew best go because they felt like this guy would make them a better team than either one of those guys would had they stayed. So we'll see what happens with Trocek, but I did want to, since... The free agency stuff is settled, and and now we know that he's going to be, in all likelihood, their biggest addition of the offseason. I did want to get a guest on the show who could elaborate on him more, and I appreciate Walt for doing that. 
I also appreciate all of you for everything, for all of the listening and reading and all that stuff. And that's why this final segment is going to be all about you guys and exhausting as many of your questions as I can in the next, let's say, 15, 20 minutes or so. And I, I'm going to, into the tweet now where I asked you guys to give me some questions. And I solicited it with a gif of that song, of The Final Countdown. And now it is absolutely stuck in my head. I'm going to have that in my head all night. I'm sure that my fiance is going to hate it. <laughs> but she's going to have to deal. And now let's go into these questions. All right. Right at the top here, we have Big Lou, who wrote, Do you think the Rangers will attempt to bank as much cap space as possible throughout the season so they can be active at the trade deadline? If so, who are some of the potential targets you see? He says, other than Patrick Kane, we've beaten that to death. Yes, we have beaten Patrick Kane to death. He could be a target. Now, here is, here is the financial part of this that I wanted to get into because I think that this is important and this will be something to keep an eye on throughout the season. The Rangers currently, you guys have heard me say this before, are looking at about $3 million in cap space. That is not including a new deal for Kako. Once that deal is signed, let's just for argument's sake, say it's $2 million. Now that is the low end. That is going to be the cheapest that that deal could possibly be. But if it's $2 million, then that leaves the Rangers with just about $1 million in available cap space. And that is with a roster of 22. As I told you guys on last week's show, I believe they're going to carry 22 instead of 23. It makes sense on so many levels, and and they really would have a tough time squeezing everybody in if they try to push for 23. If they go into the season with that 22-man roster and a million dollars in available cap space, they can accrue cap space over the course of the season leading into the trade deadline. If they stay at that million. They stay with that roster that I've projected, and, and you guys can go on loha.com slash sports slash rangers to read about it, the one that I wrote up last week. If they stay with that 22-man roster and that roughly $1 million in cap space, by the time they get to the trade deadline, I've been told that they would be sitting somewhere around $4.5 million in cap space because for each day that you're under the cap, you accrue cap space, which is to say, basically, you add a little bit each day. So with each passing day, the best way to explain this might be escaping me, but basically with each passing day, you add to your number just a little bit. It could be a few tens of thousands of dollars, depending on how much cap space you have. It could be more than that. But every day that you're under the cap, you basically, based on a formula, will add a little bit, add a little bit, add a little bit, add a little bit. We saw the Rangers do this a lot two seasons ago during the pandemic when they had the taxi squad because it was so easy to send guys up and down. If they go into the season with that 22-man roster, by the time they get to the trade deadline, if there's not much roster turnover, basically you can look at it like they'll have between 4 and $5 million that they will have accrued over the course of those first handful of months of the season. Now they could bank little bits of extra cap space by, for example, on off days, which is what we saw them do a lot during that pandemic shortened season. On off days, they could send a guy who's waiver exempt 
down to the minors for a day, save that little bit of extra cap space for that day, and then bring him back for the game day. So you could see some cap manipulations done that way as well. That $4.5 million figure that I'm giving you by the trade deadline is if they don't do any of that. They could fudge that number up to five, maybe a little bit more than five, if they do some of that off-day activity where they maybe drop their roster to 21 or 20 guys on a day when they don't have a game, and then they bring those guys back up to 22 on the game day. So basically, I think it's safe to assume that the Rangers will have at least $4 million or so, could be $5 million or so, by the time they get to the trade deadline. That will give them the wiggle room to go out and acquire somebody. Now, Kane is a $10.5 million guy. I know a lot of people have speculated about could they convince the Blackhawks to eat half of his salary, then it would only cost them 5.25. That still looks pretty tight to me. Is it possible? Sure. I think there's a lot of stuff that can happen between now and then to determine who the Rangers are going to target. Do they end up targeting a center? Do they feel like they can get away with their center depth and they're happy with that and they end up feeling like an impact winger, a guy who can play in their top six, especially if either Kako or Lafreniere doesn't seize that role and they want to move them down in the lineup a little bit. Maybe a winger, especially on the right wing, ends up being a target for them. It's all, I think, to be determined. But I do think that what we can say with certainty is that the Rangers are going to want to be in a position to strike at the trade deadline. And that is why accruing cap space between opening night and the trade deadline is going to be a really important thing for this team and an important thing to watch. We saw what a big impact they were able to make by going out and getting players they could slide right into their lineup at this past trade deadline. So I absolutely think that's going to be a priority for them. I think you go into the season and you have perhaps Lafreniere and Kako penciled into top six roles. You give Vitaly Kratzoff a chance to play somewhere in your top nine. You try to see how Stanley Blay does over the course of a full season and you hope that you can keep him healthy. You hope that you can keep the whole roster healthy. You hope the young players grow. You hope people see his roles and you give them that opportunity to do so. But over the course of the season, your weaknesses will be exposed, as we saw last year. And then, based on that, you can target whoever it is that you feel like you want to target, and that's when that cap space will be crucial and could really come in handy. So I think that is why it's it's a very much a long shot for them to do much else this offseason beyond just signing Kako. And then if they could go into the new season Somewhere in that ballpark of having $1 million in available cap space, we know they can build that up to four, four and a half, maybe five million by the time they get to the trade deadline. So that is definitely something to keep an eye on. Lou, I wish I could give you some names. Like, I know they're going to really want this guy. I think a lot of the names who you've heard speculated about in trades are still going to be available at the trade deadline. But a lot of it is going to depend on which teams do well and which teams don't. And the teams that fall out of the race, well, then look at those rosters closely, figure out who's coming up on an expiring deal or who might have one reason or another to want out of that city. And those are the teams that you're going to end up negotiating with. But this far out, it's hard for me to sit here and say, okay, the Rangers are definitely going to chase after this guy. I just 
the main point here is they're going to want the flexibility to chase after someone because you know there's going to be some kind of a weakness exposed and you're going to want to be able to fill that need at the trade deadline when you're a team like the Rangers that expects to be competing for a Stanley Cup next season. All right, let's keep going here. Sal Marino wants to know what is taking the Kako Bridge deal so long to be finalized and will the Rangers be able to re-sign Mott if they re-sign Kako? The second part of your question, Sal, the answer is no. They cannot sign them both, I don't believe, unless they make a trade to clear salary. We've talked about Ryan Reeves before as probably the most obvious candidate if they were to do something along those lines. If a move like that happens, then absolutely I would be looking at Mott. And if he's still hanging around on the market and available, I would think that there's a decent chance that he would be coming here. But as it stands right now, with the salary cap situation that we just talked about, they can't have both. And Kako is a restricted free agent, still under team control. Number two overall pick in the draft a few years ago. You guys know it all with him. He is the guy that they're tar- that they're focused on re-signing right now. And I, they can't fit both of them given their current situation. Why is it taking so long? I touched on a lot of this in the opening segment of the show. But I really do believe that it's a matter of, A, they're not being a big rush because we're so far away from training camp and because nobody has offer sheeted him. So there is really not a hard deadline on it at this point. And I think because of that, both sides feel comfortable waiting and hoping that one side or the other, or the opposite side, I should say, will cave in and maybe give in on a couple hundred thousand one way or the other. So I think that's where they're at right now. Kako's team is probably saying, hey, we want two and a half. The Rangers are saying, hey, we want two. And because there's still a ways to go before the season starts, it's kind of this waiting game right now to see who finally says, okay, fine, you know, we'll take 2.2 or we'll take 2.3 or whatever it is. So that's kind of what I feel right now. I don't think that there's a huge sense of urgency on it quite yet. And that is probably why it's lingering. And because of the cap situation that, that we've discussed, for the Rangers, I've heard this from a few people, a few hundred thousand dollars one way or the other is is meaningful to them because if they go into the season with that one million in cap space that we mentioned and just talked about quite a bit, well, then they can get up to four and a half or so by the trade deadline. But if they go into the season with, let's say, 500,000 in cap space, well, then they're going to be looking at a lot less as far as what they can accrue over the course of the season. So the Rangers, again, They are highly motivated to keep that number as close to 2 million as possible. And I think that that is the main reason that you're seeing this delay right now. All right, let's keep going here. Nick Fischetti wrote, any way to project in-season moves? Obviously all speculation, but what directions could you see this team going to improve at the deadline given the tight cap? So Nick, as I mentioned for Lou's question, I don't, see it being like a situation where I can tell you I know on July 27th that come February the Rangers are going to want so-and-so but I can tell you as far as projecting the in-season moves and what I could see the team doing look at their current organizational depth chart and that's something that I'm going to examine more for you guys in the next month or two definitely before training camp starts They're deep at certain positions with guys that they know they're not going to have NHL roles for. The the defenseman group is right at the top of that list. I know we've talked about this before, 
Right now, it's looking like it'll be a competition for that sixth and final spot on the bottom pair, whether it's Zach Jones, whether it's Nils Lundqvist, whether it's Matthew Robertson who wins that spot is to be determined. But whoever doesn't win that spot, there will be two guys left over. I think those are players that the Rangers have held for a while now and are very, very much going to be in the conversation when they're discussing trades with teams come the deadline. So I would look for those guys to be at the top of the list of who might get traded if the Rangers look to make an in-season acquisition. I think further down the prospect pool, they feel like they've held a lot of their best prospects. They haven't really traded many of them since Drury took the job. The only real notable prospect they traded was Morgan Barron in the deal with the Winnipeg Jets. And even I think he was a guy that they didn't look as you know being in their upper, upper echelon of prospects. So I think that they've held all these prospects and a lot of those guys would be in play for potential deals. And I also think that as we've seen, Drury is not going to be shy about parting with draft picks because the Rangers are in win now mode. And as exciting as it is to have a first round pick and what a lot of people feel like is going to be a really good draft coming up, the Rangers are much more focused on winning this season and next season and in this window that is open for them right now. So I do very much think that draft picks will be in play for the trade deadline as well. I don't think they're going to want to subtract guys that are on the current roster and that are playing every night kind of roles for them because the whole purpose of the trade deadline is going to be addition, not subtraction. So I don't I don't foresee guys that over the first few months of the season prove themselves to be players that the Rangers are going to rely on in their lineup. I don't foresee those guys being traded. Like, for example, a Philip Heedle. Yes, he's going into the final year of his deal. He'll be a restricted free agent again next summer. It wouldn't shock me if at some point he's a guy that maybe they consider dealing, but I don't really see it happening in season if he's playing a significant role for them. Because as we saw at this past trade deadline, they didn't take anybody out of the lineup. They added guys to the lineup, and I think that would be the goal, which is why I would point to the defensemen who don't make the team and some of the other prospects and the draft picks as the main ammunition that the Rangers will have for in-season deals. Okay, let's keep going here. Matt wants to know, with Capo Caco and Alexi Lafreniere most likely playing right wing in the top six, what guys do you think they play with? Personally, I'd go, he says, Kreider, Zabanajad, Caco on one line and Panarin, Trocek, Lafreniere on the other. It feels like Kaka would thrive as a play driver for elite finishers, while Lafreniere could end up putting 30-plus goals up playing with Panarin. Matt, that's not the craziest idea that I've heard. I do think that Zabanajad and Kreider are more shoot-first players than especially Panarin is. We know Panarin loves to pass the puck. That is his bread and butter, no pun intended there. So Lafreniere is a guy that has scored at a higher pace than Kako since he came into the league. So you can look at it from that standpoint and say, hey, it makes more sense to play Lafreniere with Panarin because Lafreniere has proven to be more of a finisher than Kako so far. So I think it would be fair to want to get a look at those line combinations. I certainly wouldn't rule them out. But based on the recent history under Gerard Gallant, I think it's more likely, at least to start training camp, you're going to see Lafreniere with Mika and Kreider because he played there for such a long stretch of time last season. I think it was close to 300 minutes, maybe 260, I want to say off the top of my head. 
that he ended up playing with them. So there's a familiarity there. There's a comfort level there. We know that Lafreniere really relished that opportunity. And we also know that Kako got a lot of ice time to begin the season on Panarin's line. So as far as chemistry goes and what we've seen Gallant lean on in the past when he tried those guys in the top six, I kind of think the starting point is going to be what we've seen before and then you adjust if needed. That's just my hunch. We'll see. It's definitely going to be a point of intrigue going into camp. And and I think you make some fairly logical points there, Matt, as far as why Kaka would fit with, with the top guys and why Lafreniere might fit with Panarin. But again, just look at what Gallant did last season. And that tells you that his preference might be having it the other way around. And that's why my current projection, for whatever it's worth, is having Lafreniere with Kreider and Zibanejad and Kako with Panarin and Trocek. We will see. All right, let's keep going. A lot of mock questions in here. I'm seeing a lot of mock questions. I, listen, the Rangers would love to have him, but I, I've told you guys this before and I'll repeat it again here. They are just not in a position where they have the luxury of signing a player who is going to cost them maybe $2 million a season to play on their fourth line or really in their bottom six for that matter. They've tied up the vast majority of their money, over 70% of their salary cap in those top six guys plus Fox, Truba, and Shesterkin. So they've kind of made their bed with those guys. And now what they need, absolutely need, is young guys who are cheap on entry-level contracts and maybe a couple cheap veterans, like for example, Orion Carpenter, who they signed this offseason to fill in those fourth line roles. I just don't see them splurging or being in a position to splurge. You know, if you can consider $2 million to splurge, it is in some senses for a fourth line kind of player. I just don't see them being able to do that unless they move other salary. So as it stands right now, Mott, as much as they love him and as much as I know that they would like to bring him back, Jury said it himself that it just doesn't seem to be in the cards right now. All right. Going to try to run through a handful more here. NYR Marine asked if they will move one of the highly touted prospect defensemen. Just touched on that. Yes, I do believe that those guys are very much going to be in play as we get toward the deadline, which which gets to your question there. NYR Marine. CK20 wrote, moving Nemeth was instrumental to the team next season. Is there anyone else that you feel may get moved before the deadline that will clear more cap? Hopefully not, all caps, Lindgren. CK20, I mentioned this a couple questions ago. I don't see the Rangers looking to subtract anyone at the deadline. I look to see them doing everything that they can to accrue cap space leading into the deadline, having as much possible space somewhere between four or five or so million dollars to go out and get a player or two at the deadline to address any weaknesses that they see in their lineup. But I don't see them doing that by trading away guys. I think you want to keep the roster intact. I think you want to make sure that you're bolstering it, not taking away a guy who might be playing a role for you. Could they trade a guy who's maybe fringy as far as the lineup goes? Sure, I guess. But I think when you would see a potential move to free up more cap space and when it will be more of a necessity will be next summer. Because next summer, we know the cap is not supposed to move up much at all, just a million, up to 83.5. And while the Rangers will be clearing some money off their books as far as their buyout penalties are concerned, 
They're still going to have a lot of guys under contract, all those big-name players that we mentioned, and you're going to have Heedle, Lafreniere, Miller, Kratzoff, among the young players who are in need of new contracts. And it's going to be really tough. I laid this out in one of the recent stories that I wrote projecting and looking ahead that it's going to be even tighter for them next summer than it was for them to fit everybody this summer. So I do think that come next summer, they're going to maybe have to think about moving somebody. Who it's going to be, I think a lot of that is going to depend on what happens this season, who proves to be pivotal, who maybe takes a step back, who do they see as more expendable, which positions do they have prospects that they feel like are ready to step in. All those things are going to be factors in this decision. But the no movement clause guys, as I mentioned, are going to be really tough to move and they are probably going to be forced into making some kind of a tough decision, whether it's a Lindgren or or someone like that. I know I can tell you right now, they would absolutely hate to give up Lindgren. He is a beloved guy in that locker room and in that organization. But I do think that you can foresee a scenario in which a tough choice is going to have to be made, especially if, let's say, Miller or Lafreniere has a really big season and is going to be in a position to ask for a substantial raise, well, then the Rangers, to keep all those guys, are probably going to have to do something to move a little salary. Who it's going to be, we'll wait and see. Lindgren does not have a no-movement clause, so that could put him in the liability category. But again, at only $3 million for a top-pair defenseman, who's beloved in the locker room. Right now, I wouldn't look at him as a guy that they're itching to get rid of. There's really not a whole lot of options, though, beyond him because a lot of the guys that are going to be under contract are either no-movement clause guys or cheap guys. Now, Barclay Gaudreau is maybe a name to keep an eye on because he has a no-trade clause. I believe it's 15 teams. So there are a list of teams that you could trade him to without him having any of a say in it. But this is the guy who the Rangers coveted and went out and got last offseason because they felt like he added grit and championship experience and all that stuff to a lineup that they felt dearly needed it. So Gaudreau is certainly not a guy they're looking to get rid of either, but you're you're, you're possibly going to have to figure something out here because it's going to be tough. We're going to all the salary cap talk. Some of you are probably sick of it. Some of you probably don't want to hear about it, but the reality is it's going to be sticking around for a while. The, the most significant cap increase is not going to come, or at least projected, is not going to come until the 25-26 season. That means that the next three years, you're going to be hearing a lot of this. The cap only moved up $1 million. All these teams are really tight. All these teams are being forced into tough decisions. Teams need to do things like what the Rangers did with Patrick Nemeth attach a bunch of draft picks to him to convince another team to take on the salary. You're going to see a lot of stuff like that happen in the next few years because there's not going to be a significant increase or significant relief in the cap situation for a lot of these teams. It doesn't seem like until the 25-26 season. So yeah, there's some difficult conversations coming for sure. All right, Jason Milowinik. Uh, Sorry, Jason, if I'm mispronouncing that. Wants to know, what's been the beer of choice this summer? Jason, good question. There's a variety of beers in our fridge right now. A lot of you know that I'm an IPA guy. We've actually really been enjoying the Konas 
which I believe it's a Hawaiian beer. It's it's really they're really good. The IPA is good. It's not like super high alcohol content, but it's really summery and refreshing. And, and they also have an ale uh, and a lager that we like. So we've been drinking quite a few of those. I also have the Brooklyn Summer Ale in my fridge right now, which I've been enjoying. I have Sierra Nevadas. I'm a, I'm a big Sierra Nevada fan. I have a bunch of those in the fridge right now. The 21st Amendment Hell or High Watermelon. Don't knock it before you try it. I'm not a big fruit in my beer kind of guy, but the Hell or High Watermelon beers have really become a summer favorite of mine. So I definitely have been making sure to have some of those around. RAR is a brewery from Maryland where my fiance is from. And that has been one of our favorites. We always get them when we're down there and bring some up here. They have a really good IPA. But I've also been noticing them sold in some New York places, which is cool to see. And we like to try different craft places. And Captain Lawrence is a local brewery that's not too far. We like a lot of their beers as well. I'm probably rambling and, and rattling off a lot of them right now, but I'm just thinking about what's in my fridge, and, and, and I think those are a lot of them right now. So good choices, all of those. Anything that I just mentioned, I would definitely recommend. All right, let's keep going here. AJ Vargs08 wants to know, do you think there's any concern about re-signing a guy like Lafreniere long-term should he not end up on power play one? The top unit is going to be good no matter what. I just imagine it being better with Lafreniere's playmaking ability versus Trocheck's. I don't think that's going to be much of a factor as far as him signing long-term. I don't think he's going to say, I don't want to stay here if I can't be on the top power play unit. And I would brace everybody. You heard Walt mention it during our interview that it should come as a surprise to nobody if Gallant puts Trocheck in that bumper role that we saw Ryan Strome play the last couple of years. He has experience playing in that spot. We know he's a Gallant guy from their time together in Florida. We know Gallant has been reluctant to play the kids in a lot of situations over the more established veterans. And so my expectation going into camp, whether I think it's right or wrong, I do think that Lafreniere and or Kako or one of the young kids, even Heedle, you can make an argument for, should get more power play time. But my expectation going into camp is that it will begin with Trocheck probably in that Strom bumper role. T wants to know, was Panarin injured in the playoffs? If not, what went wrong? We've talked about this before. He has not admitted to any injury, so I'm not going to speculate on that. I do believe that the Rangers wanted and needed more out of him in the playoffs. I very much think that he was caught in between trying to play to Gallant's system, do the north-south things, make the safe plays, be defensively responsible, all that stuff that we've talked about that we know Gallant was harping throughout the season and then especially in the playoffs. I wrote about it, and you guys heard him talk about it at various points throughout the playoffs, that I think this was kind of an internal struggle for him was where he said, I can't keep doing stupid shit on the blue line. I wish I could, or something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing, but... I do think that he was kind of struggling between opening things up and playing that style that makes him so dynamic and makes him the unique player that he is versus wanting to do the right things, not wanting to make costly turnovers, wanting to buy into his coach's system. And and I think that moving forward, that has to be something that's addressed between him and Gallant and something that the Rangers need to be actively aware of because 
you need your best offensive player to be as close to the top of his game as possible if you're going to win in the playoffs. And I think Panarin admittedly would say that he wasn't at the top of his game. Was he abysmal? Was he the, the main reason the Rangers didn't make it to the Stanley Cup final? I wouldn't go that far. I simply just don't think the Rangers were quite good enough yet. But to get to the point where they're good enough, he's going to have to be a big part of that. And he seemed at breakup day highly motivated, I can say for sure, to maybe prove some of the doubters wrong and maybe have a better showing the next time that he gets the opportunity. All right, let's see if we can do one or two more. Ryan Stiegler wrote, as the roster is currently constructed now, what's the chances you see Lafreniere staying on the left? I think he is better on that side. Ryan, you're probably right. That's the side we know he's most comfortable on. He's said that. That's where he's played his whole career. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that he would, in a best-case scenario, be better off there. But I think moving to the right side is going to be a necessity for a variety of reasons. Number one, you look at the right-wing depth beyond that. I mean, you have Kako, you have Kratzoff, who while you like Kratzoff's upside, is still very, very much unproven at the NHL level. And then beyond that, natural right wingers, you have Ryan Reeves. Obviously, he's not playing anywhere in the top nine. He's either fourth line or not in the lineup at all. Barclay Goudreau could play on the right side. Sammy Blake could play on the right side. You know, Goudreau could very much end up staying at center. Blay, from what we've seen has played more left wing than right wing, but he did play a little bit of right wing for the Rangers last year, so he could switch. But you're not looking at a lot of really exciting top six kind of guys on that right wing depth chart. Kako, you hope, will be that. Kratzoff, you hope, can maybe develop into that, but it's still very much unproven. So for that reason, I think Lafreniere ends up getting moved. And as I said to you guys last week, My fear with keeping Lafreniere on the left side would be this. You know Panarin and Kreider are going to stay in the top six. So keeping Lafreniere on the left side means he's going to play on the third line. And as good as that third line was for the Rangers in the playoffs, Gallant was still reluctant to really feed them significant ice time in all situations. And my fear would be if you put him on the third line, you're probably looking at a guy that's going to play 13, maybe 14 minutes a night. Whereas if you want to develop him, if you want to nudge him to take the next step in his career and become the player that you envisioned when you drafted him number one overall, I think you need to give him more responsibility. And more responsibility would come with moving into the top six, getting more ice time and playing with some of the best forwards on the roster, whether it's Zabanajad and Kreider or whether that's Panarin. So to me, I think the signs are pointing to him playing on the right side and you hope for the best. You could always move him back, but I thought he did fairly well in that role in the sample size that we saw this season. And I think given the Rangers depth chart and given wanting to push him in the direction of more responsibility, the right side is kind of the logical outcome here for him. All right. Peter Fontana wrote, tricky but important topic with U.S. athlete Brittany Griner facing 10 years in a Russian prison, plus the ongoing war in Ukraine. What role should journalists play in asking the NHL or teams 
about Russian players given the extraordinarily bad relations at the moment with the West. Peter, this is a fair question, and I I like it because it's a little different, and I can kind of shed some light into my thinking on how I handle these situations. With any player in any controversial situation or any kind of social issue that might be going on that they might have some insight to offer or an opinion or whatever, my position is if that player wants to talk about that, if they have a message that they want to put out there or an opinion that they want to share, especially in a case like this where there's guys from a country that is causing a lot of problems around the world, if they want to say something, I'm all for it. I'd love to give them the opportunity. I'll happily write about it. I I think it can be a very powerful thing. I am certainly not in the shut up and dribble camp. I, I believe that athletes are in a position as role models, as people who have a lot of eyes on them, as influencers, that if they want to say something, they have every right to share their opinion. But if those players don't want to discuss this topic, and I can tell you with their you know, main Russian players on the, on the Rangers roster, Panarin and Chesterkin, it was made very clear to us that they did not want to talk about what was going on with Russia or the Ukrainian war, I'm going to respect that unless there is a reason for me to press that particular player on the topic, which in both of those cases, I don't believe that there is, then I'm going to respect the fact that they don't want to talk about it. We saw what happened with Panarin a couple of years ago when he took that leave of absence. We all know that there was some concern on his part about his family back in Russia and what speaking out might mean for their well-being or their safety. So the last thing that I'm going to do is force a guy into talking about something that he feels might put him or his family in a bad position. So I absolutely respected it when those guys said that they didn't want to talk about it, and I did not press the issue, nor did any of the beat reporters. So it's not their... I don't, I don't look at it as their responsibility to speak just because they're from the country. They're not making policy decisions. They are not the people who are deciding the outcome of these type of you know really, really scary and unfortunate situations. If they have something they want to say, that's great. Power to them. I, I'd love to hear what they have to say, and I'm sure a lot of you would as well. But if they don't want to address the topic, I believe we have to respect that as well. So that, that's kind of where I stand. Now, you could look at a guy like Alex Ovechkin, who, unlike Panarin, has been a supporter of Vladimir Putin over the years. Well, there, I think there's a little more to it. And I think there's a little more reason to maybe ask more than once about what his opinion on everything might be. But even in his situation, he is not writing policy. He is not deciding any of this stuff. He came out and addressed it, and I know that what he said in a lot of ways was kind of lame and scripted and all that. It's a really it's a really delicate situation because I don't quite feel that it's fair to be critical of him, but I also think that when you decide to support a politician who does the kind of things that Putin do, you open yourself up to criticism. So if he were on the Rangers, I, I probably would have inquired a little bit more than I did with Panarin and Chesterkin. With Panarin and Chesterkin, I didn't even ask anything. It was just told to us 
by the PR staff on the Rangers that those guys didn't want to talk about it. And as I said, we all respected it. So it's a case-by-case situation for sure. But my main point of view on this is if you want to talk about it, I'm all for it. If you don't want to talk about it, I'm not going to put you in a position that makes you uncomfortable or tries to to make this into something that it doesn't have to be. So that that's where I stand on that. I think it's up to each athlete's discretion when it comes to that kind of stuff. All right. I think that is going to do it. I'm, I'm glancing through. I didn't want to miss anything on maybe a topic that we didn't address. There's a lot of them. I appreciate I appreciate all these all these questions. I see I see one final one here. Bobby Too Slow wrote, this will be the last question we take. What do you know about the Rangers' offers to Ryan Strom? Were they better than the five times five million he took from Anaheim? Did Strom overplay his hand? I can tell you this, and I know I reported this on this podcast and in some writing months ago. They did try to offer him a contract extension during the season. Those contract negotiations broke down for a variety of reasons. I believe part of it was term. I do believe that he probably wanted at least five years and the Rangers perhaps weren't willing to go that far. But as far as the average annual value, the Rangers were willing to give him $5 million, my understanding is, maybe even a little above. I think they might have talked about 5.25 or somewhere about in that range. I was told they were talking between 5 and 5.5. Five and I don't think the Rangers wanted to go 5.5, but I think the Rangers, if it were 5 or a little bit over 5, were amenable to that. I just think the Rangers wanted to limit the years with him. And I think Strom, for whatever reasons, got turned off a little bit in those conversations. Maybe he wanted more years. Maybe he felt like he could get more if he waited, kind of betting on himself. It didn't work out for him. He ended up going to Anaheim. Now, I, I my understanding is that he's very happy with the outcome. He's thrilled to be going to Anaheim. But we also know, you guys heard him, at breakup day. He really would have liked to stay here. So maybe you could argue that he overplayed his hand a little bit, but I don't know for sure how many years were offered. And for him, the security of getting five years elsewhere versus maybe taking fewer years here, maybe that was a trade-off he was willing to make. He rolled the dice. He took the bet. He ends up getting five years from Anaheim at $5 million. I do think he could have gotten $5 million from the Rangers. I just don't know if he could have gotten five years from the Rangers. So... You know, some guys, understandably, especially at that point in their careers, would value the years almost a little bit over, you know, maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars one way or the other. I I think Strom is okay with the outcome. I know he would have loved to stay in New York, but it is what it is. The Rangers wanted Trocheck. I think that became very obvious to us over the course of the last few weeks. And so they they moved in different directions. But I do think that Strom's time in New York should be remembered fondly. He was a guy who came here, in some respects, kind of holding on to an NHL role. It was slipping away from him. He had never really lived up to the hype of where he was drafted. And he definitely had a career rebirth here. He was a huge part of what the Rangers did in building back up in the last couple of years, both on and off the ice. And while... I do believe that Trocek is the better overall player, and I do believe that he represents an upgrade and understand the reasons the Rangers wanted to go after him. I think it was probably the right decision. I also think that a lot of you should probably look back on Strom's time here 
fondly. He he did a lot of good things, and he was he was a good guy in that locker room. And I know that he will be missed by a lot of people around the team and the organization, and, and especially in the locker room. So. With that, we are going to do it. I went through a lot of questions. That was longer than I was planning on going. This has been a very, very long segment. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed this past season of the podcast. I hope it was nearly as much fun as it, for you as it was for me. I had a blast. I appreciate you all so much. I wouldn't be here doing this if it weren't for you guys. And that's why I wanted to try to answer as many of your questions as possible in that final segment. You guys are awesome. Your support is very, very much appreciated. I'm so grateful for it. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your summer. I will be back before you know it. We will get back going with the podcast come September in anticipation of training camp. Definitely look out for those prospect rankings coming in August as well. I'm really proud of the amount of work that we put into that, and I think it's always a fun thing for us to roll out. In the meantime, it's time for me to exhale Enjoy the summer, spend some time with the family, go to the beach, drink some of those beers that we talked about that are in my fridge, and try to rest up as much as I can for next season. So everybody have a great summer. Thank you again, and I will talk to you in just a little while. Be well, everyone.